Life has trials and life has troubles. Jesus told us that they would. But he said, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. And today's trouble is enough for today. But the reality is too many Christians spend all their minds time and all of, uh, of their energy focused on the trial, focused on the trouble, when he clearly states not to worry about that. We have to set our eyes on the triumph, just as Jesus was able to endure the pain and the suffering and the lack and the separation and the loss that the cross uh, caused him to have to walk in. Why? Because he set his eyes on the joy. He set his eyes on you. He set his eyes on me and was able to endure the cross. The way we go from trial to triumph is to take our eyes off the trouble, off the trial, and set them on the triumph that already belongs to us. Hey, hey, welcome back to Kingdom Increase with Amanda Hall. I'm Amanda Hall, wife to Rodney, mom to Cecily, and pastor at Kingdom Increase Church in Jerseyville, Illinois. And we are hitting life's issues with heaven's perspective. Come on now. Woo, woo. Let's jump into this trial and triumph, right? Life is full, is full of both things. But for many people, they rarely ever experience triumph because their eyes are always set on the trial. And there are very specific keys in the scriptures that help us to understand how we walk victoriously in the midst of trial, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of tribulation, because Jesus promised us, you know, this isn't a promise that everybody likes, right? Everybody loves the, 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 you know, the really, um, positive promises, <laughs> but Jesus promised us in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will have trial. But he says, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. What does that mean for you and I? He's overcome and because he's in us and we're in him, then we're already overcomers. Triumph is already ours. Victory already belongs to us. Amen. And so when we can change our mindset, this will help us tremendously to learn how, I mean, if you could stop and, and I think, you know, I think it's important that we don't compare ourselves with other people because comparison will just rob us of any amount of joy. It will actually rob us of our destiny because we'll never actually fulfill what God's called us to do and be who God has created us to be because we want to look and act and do what someone else is looking, acting and doing. And so I don't think we should compare, but I do think we should take a look at uh, those in the body of Christ um, that seem to always be full of joy, seem to always uh, know how to laugh, always know how to win, always know how to have victory, always know how to prosper no matter how difficult a circumstance or situation they face. I think we should take a good look at them and probably sit down and maybe learn a few things, study them a little bit and find out how were they able to do this. Why? Because the word of God is full of, of the success secrets that we need for life, right? It, it's full of them. And it's full of people that use those success secrets to be successful 
in life. But I have found as a human being walking on the earth in 2023, although all that's wonderful and I love it, I like to actually see it in operation in human beings walking on the earth in 2023, <laughs> right? I like to set my eyes on somebody in the faith, somebody that's walking with Jesus that, that knows how to do it um, well, right? Do it with joy and, and walk in victory. And so I, I just think that it's important, to, you know, that we can set our eyes on people like that. And I'm thankful that there are many men and women in the body of Christ that we can set our eyes on to learn how to walk in victory and to learn how to go from trial to triumph. And so that's really what I want to talk about today are five actions that will take you from trial to triumph. Five actions that will take you from trial to triumph. And really, they are the, so simple and they're not going to be something, some mind-blowing um, revelation. They're just clearly from the Word of God. But the reality is, is e the simplest things are often the hardest things for us to do. Because it's kind of like, do you remember, who was it, uh, the, the Syrian um, leader, Naaman, I think was his name. He had leprosy and he had like a Jewish servant. A young, I think she was a young girl and said one day, I think to his wife or something, I wish that my master would go um, to, to the, the prophet in Israel and, and he would be able to be uh, healed um, of that leprosy. I think that's right. I hope I'm not mixing two stories together here. But at any rate, he sends, maybe it was other servants, but at any rate, he, he sends or he goes goes to, and I, now I can't even remember. See, I should have looked this up, but it just came to my mind by the Spirit. So forgive me for not having all the scriptural details. <laughs> Look, I'll tell you, people have uh, chewed me up one side and down the other, told me that I'm not, um, I don't know the Word of God, and I don't, because I didn't have every specific number, detail, or whatever in order. So excuse me if, you know, whatever, think what you want to think. But he goes, I can't remember if it was Elijah or Elisha. The prophet didn't even come out. Just told him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times and he would be healed. He was furious. One, because the thought of man of his stature um, at least deserved a actual physical um, encounter with the prophet. And two, really? The dirty Jordan River, that's where you think I'm supposed to go and dip. We got a lot cleaner rivers, right, in, in, in Syria. And his servants were like, look, you know, trying to, trying to tiptoe around because he's just extremely angry. Um, it's not that hard to do. And so had he come out and told you to do something hard, wouldn't you have done it? Why don't you just go dip in the Jordan seven times? And so he humbled his little angry self and dipped into Jordan seven times and his leprosy was healed. Amen. Why do I say that? Because many times I believe many Christians are like Naaman because the solution to our trial, to our trouble and to our tribulation is so simple. We won't do it. <laughs> it should be more complicated than that, but it's not. Even though it's simple, it's not easy to do because we won't humble ourselves and do what the Word of God says. It amazes me as being a pastor now um, for almost 12 years. The people that will come to me for counsel, and I always give them very simple counsel straight from the Word of God, and a lot of it's going to sound a lot like what I'm going to tell you today. 
and they don't do it and they don't come out of their problems. They don't come out of their trouble and they'll spend years that way because it's too simple. They want me to give them some complicated formula and you know, right? right? I feel like sometimes it's like, (laughs) and I'm not picking on the Catholics, but maybe I am, but it's not my intention. So many Hail Marys and so so many Our Fathers and and this and that and whatever will make it all right. That's not how it works, (laughs) right? You actually do what the Word of God says, and the Word of God is actually extremely simple. It's just not easy because we won't humble ourselves and actually do what it says. It's really that simple. And so I want to talk about five actions that will take you from trial to triumph because you are going to encounter trial. If you're not in one now, one one will come up, right? And so the difference is, and, and this is the thing, here's the difference. The people that know how to triumph are the ones who will rarely talk about their trials. They rarely talk about their troubles. They usually don't talk about them until they're done and over with and they had the victory. Ah, why? Because they've learned a few secrets. It's the ones that are always, every time you talk to them, it's like you want to avoid them when you run into them. (laughs) When you see them coming down the same aisle as you in the grocery store, "Mm, you want to take your cart and go elsewhere because you know as soon as you ask them how they are, it's going to be a heap long list of trouble that they're in, right? And they're always going through something. And the reality is those kind of people just drain drain your energy and you just don't want to be around them. You might love them, but you really can't help them because they, they actually um, like their trouble and you can tell they do because that's what they're always focused on. And so let's not be the kind of people that people want to avoid. Let's learn how to walk in triumph and learn how to walk in victory. And so that when we walk through things and we come out and peep, and then we use it as a testimony of God's faithfulness, his goodness, and how he brought us through something, people go, shoot, I didn't even know you were walking through something like that. See, that's what it means <laughs> to, to be a mature Christian and to learn how to walk through every trial straight into triumph. Amen. So go with me first to James chapter one. And I'm going to read verses two through four. So I'm going to give you five actions that'll take you from trial to triumph. Again, like I said, I'm a very simple person. And so I just kind of like to take the word for what the word is and just teach the word for what, what it says. Right. And so I'm, you know, if you, you, you come here to look for some kind of, you, you, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I'm very much a person that believes, um, in the spiritual life being very practical. And what I mean like by that is that, um, I don't mean convenient or comfortable. I mean that it can actually be practiced because we live in this natural world, but the spiritual world is even more real than this natural world. And too many Christians reside in the natural world and live according to the natural world. They never learn how to live from the spiritual realm. And because, again, it's actually extremely simple, but they won't do the simple things that it takes them to be able to operate from a spirit realm so that they're not always under circumstances, but they learn how to reside over circumstances that when an obstacle's coming up in the pathway, um, you know, that, that you're headed down, you can actually see it and, and you just think, oh, well, that'll be easy. I'm just going to take a couple steps to the left and keep on going 
on the path. But, but too many times we take these obstacles and we make them huge mountains because we won't do the simple things. Okay. And so you, you whatever, you know, I, I just, I like to stick to what the word of God says. And so number one, we're going to look at James chapter one, verses two through four. Consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in, in or encounter trials of any sort, be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects lacking in nothing. Now let me read that same passage, James 1, 2 through 4, out of the New Living. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. <laughs> that always cracks me up because, yes, that's the thing I think first when I encounter some kind of trouble. Woohoo! This is an opportunity to be full of joy. <laughs> that is actually what the Word of God is telling us to do. Dear brothers and sisters, <laughs> When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Come on. This is such, this is such a powerful passage and, and it, it, it is so simple. And yet again, we just, you know, we're, we're, we're too dignified for that. I think people ought to learn how to laugh. <laughs> I'm still in overflow from yesterday's service at Kingdom Increaser. I'm telling you the joy of the Lord hit the place and we were probably full 15, 20 minutes and just all out joy. I mean, it is just hitting the place. Amen. <laughs> and so I'm still in that overflow. And so, you know, the reality is, is that the number one action to go that will take you from trial to triumph is be joyful. Be joyful. <laughs> well, I hope that I can actually get through this today. <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> Be joyful. <laughs> and I just love how the New Living uh, Translation puts it. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. <laughs> And see, this is where, this is all about perspective and too many times. And, and look, I'm not saying this, please understand me. I'm not saying this at all in, in a condemning way, uh, because I have been there myself 
we just, we, we don't, we have the improper perspective of what we're walking through. Our perspective in the trouble and the trial just isn't right. And that's why the trouble and the trial just lingers on and on and on because we have not gained heaven's perspective over that trial, right? And so the only way we can get heaven's perspective over the trouble or over the trial is to keep our eyes on heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and heaven says be joyful come on now there is no sadness in heaven come on heaven's perspective is always joy so be joyful consider it an opportunity to be <laughs> to what, what's it say for an opportunity for great joy not just a little but great joy come on <laughs> hallelujah be joyful isaiah 23 or i'm sorry isaiah 12 3 says therefore with joy will you draw water from the wells of salvation and this is a place where many times christians miss out because they don't understand as I talked last week, so I'm not going to get into it, but the depth of what Jesus accomplished for you and I as believers, what he accomplished on the cross for us. But the other thing, they don't know how to, how to receive, how to tap into that and receive it. It's with joy. It's with joy that you draw water from the wells of salvation, right? It's on the inside. That then those wells of salvation are on the inside of you. That's what it talks about in the book of John, right? Um, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman that he met at the well, he said, you know, anyone who drinks of this water, um, it, it, it will bubble up. It, it will become an unending well on the inside of you, right? And there's wells of salvation that are on the inside of you. And the joy on the inside is going to come out too, right? Right? Why? Because the fruit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, right? He is the oil of joy, <laughs> amen? And so it's with joy that you're going to draw from the wells of salvation. The New Living Translation reads Isaiah 12, 3 like this, with joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. And so the only way we can go deep in our salvation is we've got to utilize the bucket that's called joy. <laughs> because like I said, it's not a promise that everyone likes to grab a hold of, but Jesus promised us that in this world, you're going to have tribulation and you're going to have trouble. But he already told you it doesn't matter that you're going to have tribulation or that you have trouble because you already have the victory because he already has the victory. Amen. So number one <laughs> is be joyful. Hallelujah. Father, I pray that every person that listens to this podcast would just get hit with your joy, joy, <laughs> with your joy today. Hallelujah. In Jesus name. Uh, number two, let's go to first Peter chapter one. And I'm going to read verses two through seven. First Peter chapter one. 
2 through 7. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Hallelujah. So as James exhorts us to be joyful because it's a testing of our faith when we encounter trials and troubles, and then when we endure that, those tests, then our faith becomes perfected and we become a perfect, undefected, complete person in Christ. Amen. And likewise, we have Peter exhorting us in a similar fashion when he says, so be truly glad. And understand that though you're enduring many trials right now, it's actually just going to prove how genuine your faith is. So number one, to um, action to go from trial to triumph is to be joyful. And number two, action is to hold faith. Hold faith. God's power can only work in your life through faith. Let me read this verse again. Verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So we have salvation the moment we uh, uh, repent of a sin and turn away from sin and turn to God in Christ. We have salvation. But there's not a completion of that salvation until we get to heaven, right? Either until the church is raptured out of here or you and I uh, pass from this world into the next through physical death, right? And so that's what it's talking about here. But it's, it's only through faith. It's through your faith. Through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you get the completion of all of this. But God's power can only work in your life through your faith. So you must hold faith. You can't waver. You can't give up. You can't back down. You can't go hide in a corner or under a rock or in your bed. Come on. You not only need to be joyful, but you have to hold faith. 
I'm telling you, a key to holding faith is get around people that know how to walk in faith. Don't get around all them negative Nellies and all them people that all they got to talk about all the time is all their trouble. First John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God is victorious over the world, and this is the victory that conquers the world, even our faith. Remember? Now let me go back to what Jesus said in John chapter 6. In this world you will have tribulation or trouble. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So whatever is born of God is victorious over the world, and this is the victory that conquers the world, even our faith. You'll never go to triumph if you don't know how to hold on to faith, because God's power can only work in your life through your faith. So be joyful, hold faith. Number three is heed instruction. And this is going to be extremely important one. I'm going to read a decent amount of scripture in, in Acts chapter 16 for this. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I said too many Christians spend too much time living from the natural realm instead of living from the spiritual realm. They, they don't understand how to actually tap into the spirit realm, which is where everything they need it is, all right? And it's our job to bring that down into the natural to where um, it becomes evident in our life. And so I want you to hang on with me here because I'm going to read just a decent amount of scripture. I'll try to go fast in Acts chapter 16. But I feel like I can't really leave any of it out because it's important for you to hear um, what it says just to pull it all together. And so the number three is heed instruction. So number one is be joyful. Number two is hold faith. And number three is heed instruction. I'm going to start in verse six of Acts chapter 16. And Paul and Silas passed through the territory of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the word in Asia. And when they'd come opposite of Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. There, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia stood pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, we at once endeavored to go on into Macedonia, confidently inferring that God had called us to proclaim the glad tidings of the gospel to them. Therefore, setting sail from Troas, we came in a direct course to Samothrace, and the next day went on to Neapolis. And from there we came to Philippi, which is the chief city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We stayed on in this place some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the city's gate to the bank of the river where we supposed there was an accustomed place of prayer. And we sat down and addressed the women who had assembled there. One of those who listened to us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a dealer in fabrics dyed in purple. She was already a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And when she was baptized, along with her household, she earnestly entreated us, saying, If in your opinion I am one really convinced and that I will be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she induced us to do it. As we were on our way <clears throat> to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who was possessed by a spirit of divination. And she brought her 
owners much gain by her fortune-telling. She kept following Paul and us shouting loudly, These men are the servants of the Most High God. They announced to you the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. Then Paul, being sorely annoyed and worn out, turned and said to the spirit within her, I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. But when our owners discovered that their hope of profit was gone, they caught hold of Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities in the forum. And when they had brought them before the magistrates, they declared, these fellows are Jews and they are throwing our city into great confusion. They encouraged the practice of customs, which it is unlawful for us Romans to accept or observe. The crowd also joined in the attack upon them and the rulers tore the clothes off of them and commanded that they be beaten with rods. And when they'd struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. He, having received so strict a charge, put them into the inner prison or the dungeon and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, as Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the very foundations of the prison were shaken and at once all the doors were opened and everyone's shackles were unfastened. When the jailer started out of his sleep, saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was on the point of killing himself because he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Then the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling and terrified, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out of the dungeon and said, Men, what is it necessary for me to do that I may be saved? And they answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And this applies both to you and your household as well. And they declared the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and bathed them because of their wounds, and he was baptized immediately and all the members of his household. Then he took them up into his house and set food before them, and he leaped much for joy and exalted with all his family that he believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent policemen saying, release those fellows and let them go. And the jailer repeated the words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to release you and let you go. Now, therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul answered them, they have beaten us openly and publicly without a trial and uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now thrust us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come here themselves and conduct us out. The police reported this message to the magistrates and they were frightened when they heard that the prisoners were Roman citizens. So they came themselves and apologized to them and they brought them out and asked them to leave the city. So Paul and Silas left the prison and went to Lydia's house. And when they'd seen the brethren, they warned and urged and consoled and encouraged them and departed. So I want to use this long passage here in Acts chapter 16. I'm actually going to use it to cover points three and four. So action number three is heed instruction. And if you start out where I started in verse six, we see that Paul and Silas are kind of out on a... Um, a mission traveling from uh, region to region, preaching the gospel. And they tried to go in uh, to the province of Asia, but the Spirit of God prohibited them. So then they tried to come in from a different angle into the Bithynia, which I believe, if I understand properly, is also still in Asia, but I may be wrong about that. 
And it said the spirit wouldn't let them go in there either. Now, God didn't see uh, any reason to explain to us how the spirit of God prevented them from going in two different times. But he just says the spirit prevented them from going. But then in verse 9, we see now the spirit does instruct them where to go. And we know how he does in this one. He instructs them by a vision. Okay. So this is what I was talking about a while ago. And I think Christians, we need to be better at cultivating our relationship with the spirit of God so we can be in tune to what he is saying. So if he tells us not to go someplace, we don't. If he tells us to go someplace, we do. And depending on how he tells us, we have to be able to recognize that, right? On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached, look, this is not, these people, men are not drunk as you suppose. They're, it's just, this is that which the prophet Joel had spoken. In the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. So we know that God will speak through us through prophecy. Um, for us personally, I believe as individuals, most of the time he speaks to us through the word of God personally. And then if he, if someone gives us a prophetic word, it's always confirmation of what God has already said to us, or at least they may give us more information than we had, but we'll have a, um, there will be an agreement in our spirit with what's being said, or he'll give us visions. He'll give us dreams. Um, right? Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, but we have to cultivate that relationship with the spirit so that we can learn how to heed instruction because the, the Bible, it gives us instruction for daily life. There's so much that can be found straight from the word of God, how to live life. And, and the spirit of God will highlight, like I was saying a while ago, prophetically highlight certain scriptures to give you specific instruction for your life and what you're supposed to do. But there are many things that you will not find specific instruction on from the word of God. So you're going to have to be able to heed the voice of the spirit in whatever fashion it comes from. Like I said, when the spirit of God prevented Paul and Silas from going into Asia and Bithynia, it doesn't tell us exactly how he prevented them. We just know he forbid them to go and they didn't go. We do know that when he instructed them to go to Macedonia, they got that instruction through a vision. But it might, you know, it can come in many, many ways according to what the word of God says, right? So we have to learn to heed instruction. Proverbs 8.33 says, Hear instruction and be wise and do not refuse or neglect it. And Proverbs 19.20 says, Hear counsel, receive instruction and accept correction that you may be wise in the time to come. See, it's important that we learn to cultivate our relationship with the spirit of God. It's important that we listen to men and women, God, who are full of the spirit and full of faith, ministering the word of God and ministering the word of the Lord for the here and now, right? So that we can hear what, what God is saying. It's important that we daily uh, commune with God in his word by reading it, by um, maybe even writing it, some of it out. A listening to it preached and taught by speaking the word of God so that we can accustom ourselves to hearing the voice of the spirit. 
It's important that we have spiritual leaders in our life, a pastor uh, that, that can speak to us. And if we need um, counsel, that they can give us counsel according to the word of God, right? Not as control, but a counsel according to um, the word of God. It's important that we have that and that we're willing to receive correction when it's needed. Why? Because the Bible tells us that then we can be wise in the time to come. So that when we come up against trouble, when we come up against trial, when we come up to tribulation, then we're able to hear the voice of the Spirit and know how to triumph in the midst of that trouble. Amen? And so um, action number one is be joyful. Action number two is to hold faith. And action number three is to heed instruction. And, you know, it's important for us to be able to do that. It's important for us to be able to heed the instruction that the spirit of God gives us. I can't even imagine. I mean, how much of the, of the new Testament would we not have had, had Paul not heeded the Holy Spirit's instruction and for forbidding them and in going into Asia or Bithynia, who knows what would have happened, right? But also note here that as they heeded the voice of the Spirit of God in going into Macedonia, it also led to their to their persecution. And so action number four is to endure persecution because when you follow God's lead, it will most likely lead to persecution. Now, you may not get beaten with rods and thrown into the inner dungeon, but you're going to get attacked on many sides from other believers and many... You know, sometimes the world too, sinners and who knows what else, <laughs> you know, uh, for what you're standing for, what you're believing for, what you're walking in, you know, what you're doing according to the word of God. So you have to understand that it's important that you heed instruction. But many times when you heed instruction and follow the lead of God, it's going to lead to persecution and you've got to learn how to endure that persecution. That persecution is just added. It's just, it's added on many times. The trial, the trouble, the tribulation you'll come up against is clearly, it is persecution. Many times as believers that are walking victoriously, the trial, the trouble, and the tribulation you come up against is just straight up persecution in many fashions. And so you've got to know how to endure it. You can't endure it if you're not joyful and you can't endure it if you don't hold the faith and you can't endure it if you won't heed instruction but you have to endure it. Again, just like Jesus promised we would have trial and trouble, he explicitly explains that many, much of the time that trial and trouble is going to be persecution. In Mark 10, 30, when, he's, when the disciples said to him, look, we've given up everything for you. And he says, says to them, you know, you, you, those of you that have given up houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property for me, he said, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Again, persecution is a promise from God. We're going to have it. So you better learn how to endure it joyfully. Acts 14, 22. Paul it says, where they strengthened the believers, they encouraged them to continue in the faith 
reminding them that they must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of God suffers violence, Jesus said, and the violent take it by force. You've got to understand persecution, trial, um, trouble, tribulation are part of being a Christian. Now, with that being said, sickness is, is not, it, you know, the sickness you know, that doesn't come, that doesn't, the problem with that is people oftentimes think that God brings that persecution and, and then they'll try to say that sick God brought sickness in their life so that he could test their faith. No, God would never bring something into your life that Jesus bore on the cross, right? So this is trial, tribulation, trouble, persecution that comes from without as a result of the working of the enemy. Come on. Sickness comes as a result of the working of the enemy. It's a fruit of sin. I'm not saying that just because someone is dealing with disease or sickness is because they did some certain sin. That's not what I'm saying. Sickness came in on the earth when Adam and Eve sinned. So the root is the sin and one of the fruit of sin is sickness, right? And so we've got to understand that that's not what I'm talking about here because people don't understand many times the goodness of God and, and they don't understand where this persecution, the trouble, the trial, and the tribulation come from. It doesn't come from God. It comes from the enemy, but he uses people and many times he'll use other Christians. So you have to learn how to endure persecution because when you heed the instruction of the Lord, heed the instruction of the spirit of God, it will most likely lead to persecution. So the first four actions that will take you from trial to triumph, be joyful, hold faith, heed instruction, endure persecution. And when I say endure persecution, we've got to go back to number one, be joyful. You're not really triumphantly enduring persecution if you can't be joyful. All right. That, that, that's just part of it. And if you can't stay in love either, because let, let's start again. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, right? First three things, love, joy, peace. If you're going through persecution, some kind of trial, trouble, or tribulation, and you can't be in love, and you have no joy, and you have no peace, you're not enduring well. <laughs> your spirit is weak, and you need to bolster up your spirit. Amen? So it's enduring persecution joyfully with peace and love. And the number five action that will take you from trial to triumph is to sing praise Sing praise, <laughs> sing praise. Hebrews 13, 15, therefore by him, talking about Christ, Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So there's no such thing as praise or thanksgiving that doesn't come out of your mouth. And if you want to know how to go from trial to triumph, you've got to learn how to praise God 
in the midst of the trouble, how to praise God in the midst of the trial, how to praise God in the midst um, of, of the tribulation. This is so key to your triumph. Amen. That's why it's called a sacrifice of praise because it will feel like a sacrifice. You won't feel like praising, but I'm telling you, if you don't, you're going to linger a long time in that trouble. If you don't learn how to give God praise. And now let's go to Psalm 149 and I'm going to end there. I love this Psalm. Clear, I always feel like a clear, succinct psalm that explains to us the power of praising God and keeping our eyes on the triumph, keeping our eyes on the triumphant one, the Lord Jesus, so that we can walk in triumph no matter what's going on around us. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praises in the assembly of the faithful. <clears throat> o Israel, rejoice in your maker. O people of Jerusalem, exalt in your king. Praise his name with dancing, accompanied by tambourine and harp. For the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Come on now. Let the faithful rejoice that he honors them. Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. Let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands <clears throat> to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with shackles and their leaders with iron chains, to execute the judgment written against them. This is the glorious privilege of his faithful ones. Praise the Lord. So when we sing and give praise to God, we are executing judgment upon the enemy in whatever form that comes, right? You got to learn how to fight the good fight of faith. And one of the keys is you've got to learn how to be a person of praise, a person of thanksgiving. And it, it may at times during trial and trouble feel like it's a sacrifice. Well, again, the Bible's very clear that sometimes praise is, but we're still commanded to continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. And that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And your praise will wreak vengeance upon the enemy. It will cause you to take your eyes off the trouble and walk through victoriously because he gives victory to the humble. Amen. Hallelujah. And when you recognize there's no way you can walk victoriously without him, then you're, you're just humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, sing praise, knowing that God's going to bring you through in triumph. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So five actions that will take you from trial to triumph. Be joyful, hold faith, heed instruction, endure persecution, and sing praise. Father, thank you so much for the simplicity of your word and your instruction in your word that teaches us how to take our eyes off of our troubles and set them on the triumph that we already have in Christ Jesus. May we humble ourselves and actually follow these simple steps. Hallelujah. 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 And truly experience. Ha. Huh. 
your glory, your glory that is full of joy unspeakable. Hallelujah. No matter the trouble, no matter the tribulation, and no matter the trial, may we count it an awesome opportunity for great joy. Hallelujah. Strengthen your people, Lord, in their inner beings by the power and might of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, love y'all. I'll see you on Wednesday. Thank <laughs> you.